Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Well, that was a great bit of practice this morning for what we're going to be doing in heaven forever, uh, which was perfect. And I I love the songs that our team picked uh, this morning. Did you notice they were full of hallelujahs? And uh, that's what we're going to be doing in heaven forever for all of eternity. And uh, praise the Lord, we get to take a look at heaven this morning. What is heaven going to look like? Before we do, I'm curious, have any of you all ever been somewhere where you just felt like you didn't belong? But I mean like in a good way. Maybe you got to go somewhere and you're going, there's no way I should be here, but somebody blessed me and allowed me to. I could never afford this. When we lived up in central Washington, one of our elders and his wife would, uh, every once in a great while, give us a key to their cabin in this little town called Leavenworth, and it was an all-German town, and we'd get up there, and you drive up into the mountains, and it's this little two-story cabin that they had, and on the bottom floor, they had really big windows, and it was only like 20 feet from what was called Icicle River, and Icicle River was this uh, big rushing river, and you kind of see little creatures sometimes swimming in it, and it was just a blast, but that was a place that we knew we could never afford to stay in for probably even one night, and yet they'd give us the key and say, you know, go up there and spend four or five days if you'd like. We get to go and sit outside in their outside jacuzzi tub, and if you look up towards the western mountains, you'd see these mountain goats kind of scaling the mountain, getting some food off the side, and we're just going, wow, again, we really don't belong here. We wouldn't be able to do this on our own. Well, I think that's exactly how the Apostle John felt in Revelation chapter 4. He's going to get raptured or brought up into heaven and get this glimpse of glory. And no doubt, the first thing he thinks is, I don't belong here. I shouldn't be allowed to be here. And yet, there's one reason why he's allowed to go. And that answer is really the same reason that you and I are going to get to be in heaven with the Lord forever. It's all because of Jesus. I do a fabulous job, and I'm sure you do as well, at just messing life up We've become professional sinners. If that was a job, I would, be, I would be really good at it and probably get paid a lot for it. But the Lord Jesus never once sinned, and yet he came to heaven. He died for us. He rose again for us. And because of that, the veil of the temple is torn, telling me that I get direct access to God's throne room at any time, and one day I will get to be with him in his throne room in heaven forever, all because of Jesus. What a blessing that is. In honor of our King who is making it possible for us to be in heaven with Him, would you stand with me as we read Revelation chapter 4? It's 11 verses this morning. Stick with me as we read this passage in its entirety, and then we'll begin to break it down little bit by little bit. Revelation chapter 4, after this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature 
like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Amen? Gang, have a seat. Thank you. There has been a lot of talk and a lot of writing as to what heaven is like. Most of it is pretty flawed and pretty imaginative. But even a secular news station back in 2014 did a poll of the American people to find out what they thought of heaven. CBS News went out and asked thousands of people what they thought about heaven, and here's what they discovered. 75% of Americans actually believe there is a heaven and a hell. 82% of those folks that were asked about that said they believe they're going to heaven. Only 2% said they were going to hell. About 16% said they didn't know. What they didn't ask these people was, how do people get to heaven? What is heaven actually like? So I have a blast asking people that question. Around Albuquerque, I've asked people, hey, do you think you're going to heaven? Most people say yes. You know what the answer is as to why? I'm a good person. To which I love to use this little technique by a guy named Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron from Growing Pains where they'll ask people, so you think you're a good person? Could I put that to the test? And people in their pride are going, absolutely. Let's do this thing. You'll find out I'm a good person. Awesome. Have you ever told a lie? Well, yeah. So what does that make you? Well, a liar, but I'm not a bad person. Okay, well, hold on. Have you ever stolen anything? Well, yeah, but nothing major. It doesn't matter. The size of the object doesn't matter. The fact that you did it, you stole something. What does that make you? A thief. Have you ever looked at a woman or, or a man with lust that's not your spouse? Most people would say yes. According to Jesus, do you know what that makes you? An adulterer. Have you ever sworn using God's name? And what does that make you? A blasphemer. So, so far, we're only through four of the Ten Commandments, and you're a lying, thieving, blaspheming adulterer at heart. Oh, we're not doing so good. Praise the Lord that the reason that we get to be in heaven is not because of the good things that we've done, because remember, the bad things that we've done would keep us out of heaven, but it's all because of what Jesus has done. Now, for those of you that have trusted the Lord Jesus, you get to worship him forever in heaven, which tells me something based off what we just read in Revelation chapter 4 as well, and it's really our big idea for the morning. And this is hugely important for us to recognize this. Worship God now in your temporary home because that's what you're going to do in your eternal home. That's what we're going to get to do forever. Listen, the scriptures make extremely clear as to why we exist. Not just now, but what we're going to exist for in eternity. What is it? What did God plop you on this planet for? I mean, you could think of a lot of things. Well, because I'm supposed to be a good husband. I'm supposed to be a good dad. He's called me to work. He's called me to provide for my family. Those are all true and those are all good things, but that's not the big reason that God actually created you. In fact, the reason he created you is the same reason he created the angels that we just read about in Revelation chapter 4. Those 24 elders that are gathered around the throne, they all exist for the same purpose. Anybody know what that is? To glorify God by worshiping him. 
Glorify God by worshiping Him. That's why oftentimes around here we'll say 52 times a year we get to practice together as brothers and sisters in Christ what we're going to do for all of eternity. This right here, what we're doing right now, is a small taste of what it's going to be like in heaven. Now before we go any further, because we're about to take a look at the biggest section of Revelation, Revelation 4 through 22 is the last third of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 verse 19 gives us our breakdown for the whole book of Revelation. It says, Jesus is telling John, write therefore the things that you have seen, Revelation chapter 1, the things that are, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, that's the church age, we're living in it. And those things that are to take place after this, Revelation chapter 4 through Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 4 through 22 are all future events. They have not yet happened. So right now we're living in the church age. What is the next event to take place on the prophetic calendar? It's something that we call the rapture. The word rapture doesn't appear in the original Hebrew or Greek text of the scriptures, but the word harpazo does. And that word, that Greek word harpazo, literally means to be caught up or snatched up by force. Now, I know immediately a bunch of you are are wondering, asking the question, so what do you think? Are we going to be raptured out of here before the tribulation? In the middle of the tribulation? At the end of the tribulation? If I was to pull you all right now and ask, what do you think? Before the tribulation, some of you would say yes. Some would say, what about in the middle of the tribulation, like maybe before the wrath? Some of you would say yes. How many of you would say at the end of the tribulation? Some of you would say yes. And then I'd ask you to look around and realize your pastor is hosed no matter what I do. Someone is going to walk out of here going, I don't agree with you. Well, that's okay. Relax. Because remember, the most important thing right now is the who of the rapture and the why. We'll, we'll work out the details. Personally, after studying Scripture for years and years, and I could care less Who's right? I'm just looking at the study of Scripture, and here's what I've discovered. In the book of Revelation, the book that we're studying right now, and just taking this topic at hand, the word church, ecclesia, is used 20 times in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapters 1 through 3, ecclesia is used 19 times. Starting in chapter 4 all the way to the end of Revelation 21, the word church is used zero times. The word church doesn't appear again until Revelation chapter 22 one more time after Jesus comes back and the church comes with him. That's one of the reasons why I think that we will be out of here before the tribulation takes place. I think the church will be raptured out. And again, if I'm right, I will totally make fun of you on the way out. If I'm wrong, you can make fun of me while we're trying to figure out how we're going to see people come to know Jesus during the tribulation. Okay? Fair enough? Now, here is the most important thing. When we do get brought up to heaven with the Lord, and it is going to happen, that's a promise, that's a guarantee, we will get raptured at some point in time, and we will be with the Lord in heaven. What are we going to see? This is what we rejoice over together as a church, is what we are going to get to experience together as brothers and sisters in Christ. If I am right and we are raptured out of here before the tribulation, we'll get to experience that. Before the, if I'm wrong, we're not going to be fighting about it once we get to heaven. We are just going to be so excited that we are going to fall down at the feet of Jesus and we're going to worship him for who he is. And that's what we're getting a glimpse of this morning. So th- for those of you that are mad at me for being pre-trib, get over it. Here we go. We are going to dive into this and we're going to take a look at what is it going to be like in heaven 
which is the important thing for us. Revelation 4, 1 through 5 is going to give us our taste of what heaven is going to be like. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I had you stand when we read the, the thing in its entirety. Stay in your seat, but I'm going to ask you, close your eyes. There's a lot of distractions that go on around us. Just close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to just try to get a picture in your mind's eye of what John is seeing when he gets brought up into heaven, because you and I are going to get to experience this as well. Let's try to get a glimpse of it right now. Revelation 4, 1 through 5, just with your eyes closed, let me read through this, and then as soon as I'm done, I'll tell you, pop them open. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must, must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. You can open your eyes again. What is the first thing that John tells us? Well, really, this passage is just broken down into two main points we're going to take a look at this morning. The first is this. What we're going to see in heaven is God seated on his throne. We're going to see God seated on his throne. Now, John starts with the words after this, or in the Greek, it's the words metatauta. Metatauta literally just means that a new section is about to begin. After the things that I just told you about, here are the next things that are going to happen, which again are all future events. And so John gets brought up into heaven, and what does he see? Well, John, if you can imagine, he's had a chance to hear about heaven. He's had a chance to write about heaven. He's had a chance to preach about heaven. Now he gets to go experience it firsthand. And you gather that he's beginning to grasp at words for what heaven is like. Well, there were four individuals that we know of that got a glimpse of the glory of heaven before they actually died. Only four that we know of for sure. Ezekiel and Daniel of the Old Testament. John and Paul in the New Testament. Some have said, well, what about Isaiah? Well, Isaiah's description is of, of God's glory in the temple. So I really think those are the only four that got to be brought up to heaven or get a glimpse of what heaven was like before their death. Ezekiel tries to explain it. Listen to this. It's in Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. It says, And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was the likeness of a human appearance. And upward from the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud of the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. Again, can you see Ezekiel almost grasping for words? I'm going to try to explain this to you, but I don't know how. And he tries to tell them what heaven is going to be like. I hope that that in some way, shape, or form encourages you and gets you excited about what is awaiting because the world's a mess. Like I'm just looking around at what's going on and I'm frustrated at times. 
And I'm raising teenage girls in the midst of all of this, just going, what in the world is going on? But you know what? I continuously have to be reminded by the Lord himself, don't forget what you have awaiting as you wade through the mess, as you go through the mess of brokenness, as you go through the mess of sin. Don't forget what's waiting. Well, the second of the two Old Testament prophets I told you about tries to explain it. There's Daniel. Listen to his vision that he's given by the Lord. Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 through 10 says, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. Can you imagine Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people and angels are there worshiping around the throne. Just try to picture that for a moment. I love what the church sounds like, what our church sounds like when we sing praises to the Lord. And that's amidst all the cracking, and that's amidst all the missed tones and pitches and all that good stuff. My favorite is when the worship team gets you all to clap and sing at the same time. Some of you are and it just totally, I, I love it. We, have no, we are not a church of rhythm for the most part. But God loves when we sing praises to his name. It's great. And that's what's going to be happening when we get to heaven. And our pitch won't be off anymore. And our claps won't be off anymore. And we'll just be worshiping the Lord. I can't wait. But then Daniel goes a little further. In Daniel 7, 13 to 14, it says, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. What is John seeing in this glimpse of glory? He's looking up into heaven. He's seeing God the Father. He's seeing God the Son being worshipped. They are on the throne. They are right where they belong. By the way, God is on the throne right now where he belongs, even though it may not feel like it. I oftentimes have to remind myself and others that what you feel is not always what is real. Oftentimes our feelings will deceive us. The fact that God is seated on the throne, or the words that John uses there for seated on the throne, tells us that God is actively reigning and ruling. We may look around and go, man, I don't like the direction the president's going or the direction that our governor is going or the direction that our world is going. I don't like the direction NATO's going. I don't like the direction, and you name it, and we don't like the direction that certain kingdoms of this world are going. However, know this, their kingdom is limited and temporary. They can only do what God allows them to do for a brief period of time. That being said, God will only put up with, with sin for so long. This is the side of God that we don't like to talk about. Oftentimes churches, pastors, preachers will avoid it. But yes, Jesus is absolutely loving. He's absolutely gracious. He's absolutely merciful. But did you also know that he is all holy and all just and will only put up with sin for so long? That's a good thing. It's good that God is on the throne. It's good that he is the king. And it's good that he is the master and that we are his subjects. That is a good thing. That is a master and a king that you want to sit under. Now, it's also worthy of noting that in this description of God and in this, in this description of the Lord, we see that he is surrounded by or has the appearance of jasper and carnelian. 
Which sometimes I read through stuff like that and I just breeze right past it. But come to discover that Exodus chapter 28 verses 15 through 20 describes the coat with the 12 stones on it that the high priest would wear. And the first of those stones is carnelian and the last is jasper. Telling us that Jesus is the beginning and the end. He is the one that is in charge of all things and that he is our great high priest who has dealt with all of sin, past, present, and future. So that because of his shed blood, now I can enter into heaven. The veil of the temple has been torn so I can be in heaven with the Lord. Now again, there are so many things that we could know. We could be here for a really long time today, but there are certain things I don't want us to miss. Some of you all have seen some beautiful rainbows, haven't you? And rainbows are usually a half circle, a partial circle. We see in heaven that there's no partial rainbow. It goes all the way around the throne. And again, God doesn't put anything in his word by accident. Everything is there on purpose. So notice that this rainbow that goes around the throne has no end. It tells us something, that the glory of God has no end. The goodness and the graciousness and the love of God for his people has no end. So if you've ever been let down by somebody in the past, know that you have a great God and Savior who will never let you down. Now the next question, who are these 24 elders? There's been a lot of stuff written about who these 24 folks are that are sitting on thrones. What I'd prefer to do is rather than make stuff up or, or tell you what I hope they are or who they are, is let's just let Scripture tell us. And again, it's going to have to be a little bit of an educated guess or an educated answer. But in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus promised the disciples that they would sit on 12 thrones. So I believe that the apostles, his original disciples, are 12 of the 24 that are going to be sitting on the throne. The other 12, I don't know exactly who they are, but I believe they're going to be representative of Gentile believers that are a part of the church, and that 24 making up all of the redeemed, those that are going to be up there worshiping the Lord forever. Now, the second half of this passage, Revelation 4, 6 through 11, is the next thing that we're going to see happening in heaven. First of all, we're going to see God, God seated on the throne, but what are we going to see happening? We're going to see God worshiped on his throne. We're going to be up there worshiping the Lord forever. Revelation chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, gives us the first of 14 what we would call doxologies, or songs of praise to God in Revelation. In Revelation 4, verses 6, 7, and 8, it says, And before the throne there, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, the four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. First of all, before we talk about their worship, who are these crazy creatures? Again, we want to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 10 give us an almost exact likeness or description of these angels. And we learn that in Ezekiel, they're in order called cherubim. Here in Revelation Chapter 4, these are seraphim. Cherubim are the four-winged angels, and seraphim are the six-winged angels. Yet the description of both of these orders of angels is extremely similar. So who is it that's gathered around the throne? Here in Revelation 4, it's a bunch of seraphim. Now, even more important than who they are, what are they doing? 
Well, they're worshiping. And how are they worshiping? Or better yet, what kind of worship are they giving back to the Lord? Well, look at what they say. How do they start? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God loves to be worshiped as the Holy One. That's the first thing that we see in the worship that God loves to receive. He loves to be worshipped as the Holy One. What does it mean to be holy, especially when you got the perfect trifecta? It's mentioned three times. His complete otherness, his complete set-apartness. There is no one like our God. This is going to sound like boasting and bragging, but we don't boast and brag on ourselves. We boast and brag on our God. And in fact, if you're not boasting and bragging on your God, then there are certain songs we need to stop singing. Songs like, our God is greater, our God is stronger, our God is higher. Is our God greater than any other? Listen, absolutely, he has to be absolutely the best, the only God of the universe, or he's not. There's no in-between. In fact, there really is no other God. Scriptures speak of God himself saying, you shall put no other gods before me. He's not talking about chronologically. When he says before, he's talking about putting, him, putting them there. And then you begin to recognize, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians, that these gods that others are worshiping aren't really even gods. People just think they are. In fact, do you know what they actually are? They're demons in disguise. Anybody that worships a false god is actually worshiping a demon in disguise. The God of the scriptures, the God that spoke the universe into existence, the only God that has ever existed and ever will exist, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the one that's being worshipped here in heaven. And he loves to be worshipped as the Holy One. But then it goes on to say, the Lord God Almighty. He loves to be worshipped as the Powerful One. There is nothing that can thwart God's plans. Some of the big words that I think we throw around church without recognizing the depth of their meaning are things like God being omnipotent. These are what we would call his incommunicable attributes. We don't have these attributes and we never will. God is omnipotent, which means he's got all power. There's nothing that is outside of his capability or, or his ability. God is omniscient, which means he knows all things. Before you even think it, he knew you were going to think it. Before you did something dumb, he already knew you were going to do it. Before you worshipped him, he already knew that you were going to worship him. Before awful people rose up into power, like Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, Pol Pot, before any of those men were allowed to take their positions of power, God already knew about it and he already knew what he was going to do with it and how he was going to use it for his glory. And the reason that he knew that is the third thing when it comes to our worship of him or the angels' worship of him here who was and is and is to come. He loves to be worshipped as the eternal one. God governs the past, God governs the present, and he governs the future. That means that there's nothing in all of human history that's ever taken God by surprise. And there's nothing in all of human history that ever will take God by surprise. I hope that brings you great comfort. That was meant to bring great comfort to those that had been persecuted during the time of John. It's meant to bring great comfort to us today because of all the stuff that's going on. And again, just as a reminder, I think if I'm reading Scripture correctly, things are not going to get better. They're going to continue to plummet downhill. I'm just thinking based off my studies of history, I'm kind of seeing that play out. Things aren't getting better. And that is no reason to walk out of here depressed. That is reason to walk out of here hopeful and joyful because the worse things get, the closer we're getting to the return of Christ. You know what's happening? Satan, did you know that he's a theologian? 
He knows about God. He knows the scriptures. He also knows that his time is short. So being the fact that Satan knows his time is short, he's starting to freak out. This is great. Satan, keep bringing it, because you know you can't do anything that God doesn't allow you to do. And eventually he's going to say, your leash has come to an end. You're done. I'm going to cast you into the abyss for a thousand years. God's going to set up his millennium. I'm getting way ahead of myself. Okay, I'm not even going to talk about that right now, because that is a whole different sermons. We serve a God that is holy and completely and totally in control of all things. And if you've ever doubted that, look at the cross. Jesus comes as God in flesh. He displays that. He knows what people are thinking, and then he tells them, and yet they still nail him to a cross. He gives the ability to walk to paralyzed people, the ability to hear to deaf people, the ability to see to blind people, and the ability to breathe again to dead people. If you don't think that God is fully in control and, and that he's proved it, just go back and look at the person and the life of Jesus. And that's what this chapter is all about, is worshiping Jesus on his throne. Well, John gives a fitting close to today's passage, verses 9 through 11 of Revelation 4. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Listen to this, here is the why of their worship, and here is the why of our worship. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Do you know why you and I were born, and why we were able to get up this morning, and why we get to give him worship right now? Because he made us, and he led us. Isn't that a great reason to worship the Lord this morning? Isn't it a great reason to worship him later today? What about tomorrow? What about next week? What about next year if we still have it? What about 10 years from now? What about in eternity? Let's pray together. Jesus, we come before you, and again, we just praise you for who you are. You came as the Lamb of God who was going to take away the sins of the world, and that's exactly what you did. But then you're going to come again as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And you are going to do away with evildoers. You are going to do away with evil. You are going to put sin in its rightful place. And Lord, one day we are going to get to experience that place of perfection in eternity with you. And we know that we don't deserve that. And yet you give it to us anyways. Lord Jesus, we give you all honor and glory and praise just as the angels did. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray together. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.